Right, guys, welcome back to the Physique Factory podcast. And today we're joined by James Johnson of ATP Performance. So, James, um, let's just start off the way that most people actually start off most podcasts by saying, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about ATP as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's it's funny to be on this side of the interview because normally I'm the one interviewing everyone. So um, Dr. James Johnson, as you said, I'm a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy in the U.S., uh, and I started ATP, what was it, 2017. So it's been a couple years of us doing it. It started out when I was in graduate school. I was doing a lot of in-person personal training. My graduate studies were taking all my time. I had more people than what I could handle. And it was just seemed like the simple way to kind of go virtual so I could handle more people. So it started out as just like gin pop personal training. As I started competing, started studying that, um, I kind of like incorporated the bodybuilding and hypertrophy studies and biomechanics and physics and all that stuff into my physical therapy. Cause I was just so biased towards strength anyway. Yeah. So I kind of just started learning that. And as I learned, I started attracting more competitors. And then since then started out as me helping friends. And now we've got five coaches and a specialist consultant for mental health that kind of helps out as well. So wow, it's a relatively yeah, cool. large company. We handle at one point we had clients in 16 different countries, still relatively unknown. I'd say like our biggest hub is the East coast of the U S just cause that's where most of our coaches are located. Um, but we're starting to grow and I love it. Yeah. yeah. So we handle, we've got multiple physical therapists on staff. We've got physique and strength sports specialists. We've got a guy who's a strongman record holder, uh, CrossFit coach. So it's kind of like a multidisciplinary coaching team. But my specialty is obviously rehabilitation and natural bodybuilding. Yeah. So yeah, you guys kind of cover absolutely everything then. That's that's really cool, actually. Um, and mm -hmm. you, you mentioned like about the online aspect. Is, is everything online? So it's like a fully online company. Yeah. It is now. Um, there will potentially be some changes here in the next couple of months where I might be doing some more stuff in person. Um, through a couple different routes but yeah. yeah right now atp performance itself is fully online i think the thing is as well like if you've got a lot of guys like as you say in the east coast of the us and kind of local area to you again local to me might be very different to scotland than local to you guys right enough but um you know you can always have like client meetups and things like that and you can get that kind of hands-on kind of experience because especially with the physiotherapy side of things i imagine getting hands-on mm -hmm. for that is a lot easier than doing it virtually is that right it can make things so much easier. Yeah, you can miss little details online. Um, we've gotten pretty good systems in place where, you know, I have clients send me, uh, you know, video and 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 breakdowns of form and all that. And we've got some apps that can actually track joint angles and some tricky stuff. But yeah, always getting hands on is normally better. Um, yeah. But there's the, the people that come to us for rehabilitation aren't the ones that need the hands on as much. They're not needing soft tissue work and all that. It's more of what's going wrong with my programming, my load progressions, or I had a freak accident because I spiked my load too much or my volume too much. And now I need to reincorporate things back into training or someone with back pain that's sensitive to flexion or something, but they want to get yeah. back to deadlifting. So a lot of that is programming considerations, really more so than anything hands-on we would do. And I would say for like any personal trainer, really, that's a good thing to know. Like you want to know how to basically not fuck your clients up. Um, so where have you learned a lot of this stuff? You, you mentioned being at like grad school. I, I imagine that's like university for us. Is that right? Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably. Probably is. Yeah. So we did the way the way that the physical therapy degree in the U.S. goes. You do your high school, which for you guys, I think is like college. And then we go to college, which is my undergraduate studies. So I did a four-year degree, which got me a bachelor's of science in biology, 
which is catered towards physical therapy studies. A lot of human anatomy, physiology, physics, statistics, like critical analysis of evidence. And then you go on three more years, which is your like more dedicated, higher level. And yeah. then that's where you're doing like anatomy, cadaver dissections and like high end stuff. So, yeah, it's like a seven year program altogether for most people. Is it sad when you mentioned the kind of cadaver stuff that I'm like, fucking hell, I'd love to do that. I'd love to get involved in that and just see like, uh, I've got a book, actually, a textbook, um, McMinn's Human Atlas of Anatomy. And like, you know, that's got some cadaver pictures. And like, I think once you see things like that, it just totally changes mm-hmm. your perspective. It's just like, you know, someone says like, um, you know, an isolation exercise, we're going to isolate this muscle. And you're like, you've seen all this shit and you're like, there's absolutely no chance because you, you'll know what it's like. It all kind of seems to merge mm-hmm. into one, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm someone who's very visually oriented anyway. So as soon, like I can read a paragraph 18 times and I've no idea what it's saying. And then I look at a picture and I can see the orientation of the muscle fibers and then like, boom, it clicks. And that's how it was with the anatomy studying. Just, you know, if I can see the body in front of me, you can pull on the muscle, see exactly what it's going to do if you stabilize here. And now I'm good. I got it. It's stuck. Yeah, wow, that that would be interesting. Um, so and like obviously you've done like the kind of traditional learning route. Have you done anything out with that as well, or how how did you find that? Um, yeah. So being at the grad level, we had a fantastic library of resources, um, actual physical, but then also what we call like an interdisciplinary like library loan system, where if I wanted to research something or if I wanted a specific study. I could just request it from the librarian and I'd get it. Yeah. So I was using that to my advantage, right? I was studying the hypertrophy stuff. Like, so when Schoenfeld was putting out new studies, I would request it, right? Or all these other like researchers in hypertrophy and bodybuilding didn't help me with physical therapy really that much, but I was getting all these studies sent directly to me. So I was reading directly from the research as it was coming out, as well as learning from some of the more like what do we want to call it? Like social media type resources. So like Renaissance periodization, when they were starting out, I was learning a lot from them. Team 3DMJ, um, you know, Steve Hall with Revive Stronger, listening to all his podcasts and listening to his experts, because there's a lot that you can get secondhand from those guys that are doing the research and that, instead of just reading the research as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I'm one of those guys that like, I don't enjoy reading research and looking at studies and things like that. I actually like you know, like I've done like a lot of different courses and things like that with the guys that will have read the research. And like, I kind of like mm-hmm. getting it secondhand, if you know what I mean. Like um, just for me, it just absolutely bores me to death. Unless it's something that's like really caught my interest, you know, I'm more like, I, I like that kind of secondhand kind of learning. Um, but mm-hmm. the, obviously yeah. that, that's a good place for people to be to kind of bridge that gap between it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, totally. Um, the, the, the other thing as well, I suppose, it's like there's the science and then there's obviously the practical. Obviously you've um, you've stepped on stage yourself and you've, you've kind of been mm-hmm. there and done that. Um, how, how did you get into that? Have you always been in the gym or? Yeah, so I played soccer my entire life. Soccer and baseball are my big sports. I continued soccer into the college levels. So I was used to being in the gym for sports-specific training. And then when that ended, it was kind of like, all right, I'm used to... I think at one point we calculated for my first year of college, it was like 27 hours a week was our normal commitment at the level that I was playing. So I had 27 hours out of the week that was just empty now, right? So I wanted to fill it with something. I was used to being in the gym. I kind of dabbled in that, dabbled in powerlifting, but then I realized my leverages are awful and I am not a strong individual. And I just liked going in for the sake of getting, you know, getting bigger. So I was, I was lifting, started personal training because I just loved lifting and being in the gym. And the way I got into bodybuilding was actually from one of the other trainers competed with the OCB in the US. And I'm a competitive person. I saw him and I was like, ah, I could look better than that. 
And that's where it started. So a yeah. little bit of an ego, uh, but yeah, I just, I kind of stumbled across it really. I wasn't someone who's been embedded, you know, in, in the sport for years and years and years. My first competition was only 2017. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what age were you then when you did your first competition? Probably like 22, I think right, I okay. was 22 or 23. Does that still count as like a junior class for you guys? I know it would be for, for us. It would have been if the show had been big enough to have a junior class. They didn't have one. Um, so I just competed. It was debut, novice, and open. And I did relatively well. It was a, it was a decent show. It's a show that I still go back to all the time because it's well run. But yeah. that year, there wasn't a ton of athletes. So I placed second in the debut, second in the novice, third in the open that year yeah. for classic physique is where I started. And then that was kind of like how things went for the first couple of years, actually would always play second place in the open. And then I transitioned this last year in 21 was my last competitive year transition to bodybuilding. That was my first year that I was no longer classic physique, at least for now, uh, and competed open bodybuilding. How did you get on with that then? How did you find that transition? I enjoyed it. I mean, my legs are a strong suit, right? I, like I said, I played soccer my whole life. So squatting and me are friends. Um, my upper body is probably weaker, right? I just, I found that I didn't have the structure that the judges were looking for, for classic physique, right? I don't have that wide, big chest. Yeah. I have a good taper, but I'm just, I'm just not bulky enough up top. And that's kind of what they were looking for. Um, so my, my symmetry was better suited for open bodybuilding and I can get leaner than most of the classic physique guys or the guys that are at least competing around me in classic physique. So it was like, let's play conditioning, let's play symmetry and we'll just go bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of saw what they were looking for and played that to your advantages. I want to ask something before we get too far and I completely forget about it, but obviously you mentioned obviously um, playing soccer or as we'd call it football. Um, obviously mm -hmm. it's not as big in the U S as it's here, but um, yeah, I just wanted to ask if you had like a team, do you support a team or was it just a purely playing thing? I just, I am, honestly too busy to really follow too much. I obviously follow our national team when we have like CONCACAF or gold cup or anything like that, or world cup, obviously. Um, but no, I don't, I'm not someone who sits down really ever. So for yeah. me to like sit and watch anything, the only sport I really truly followed for a long period of time was hockey because I was, my family's from Pittsburgh, uh, part of my family, obviously. And they had a Pittsburgh penguins had a really good run. And I know most of your crowd won't know anything I'm talking about, but and when I was in college, it was local to us. So I could just turn on cable and I could get every single show or every single game. So I was watching like literally from day one until playoffs, every single game for like four years, which was great. But now I just don't have the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm saying like, um, I, I do like football and I, I do support teams, support Celtic. We've actually got an American player, uh, Cameron Carter Rickers. You know him? Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Great for Celtic, um, great defender. Um, but like, yeah, football like over here is uh, is massive. I would say, and like, I, I keep up my own team, but like, like you say, it's like having time to actually, you know, spend on that. Especially like um, when you're running the business and like I, I, you're a father as well, aren't you? So like, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. comes into it. It's like time is no longer your own. But um, yeah, certainly it's, it's interesting that you played it though, because as I say, it's not it's not that big over there compared to here. And then um, like when mm -hmm. you mentioned ice hockey stuff as well. Although that's not big over here, like I've been exposed to it a little bit more recently because um, I've had about three different clients that are quite into it. And um, one of them in particular, his son's really into it. And um, like just the dedication that that sport takes is incredible, especially mm -hmm. like his son's only like 12 years old and like the dedication just absolutely incredible. They would uh, 
they travel down to like 40 minutes away for practice at 6am on, on a Saturday morning because that's the only time they could mm-hmm. get on the ice and then later that mm-hmm. same day they'd have a game and they'd maybe have a game the next day and it just, it just sounds absolutely crazy but uh, interesting sport to be fair because it's kind of fast paced there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and yeah especially in the, mm-hmm. the actual um, what, what do you call again the, the National Hockey League is it NHL yeah yeah yeah, the NHL. Yeah, like, yeah, you you'd be getting like fighting and things like that as well. So it's certainly yeah. an interesting sport. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. It's it's a sport I wish I had gotten to play, but I really didn't. I taught myself to play when I was in college, but I tell people all the time it's it's like the strategy and the formations and the the mindset of soccer, but the physicality of American football or rugby. Which yeah. I actually played rugby for a couple of years too when I was out of uh, university. You're loving the was, European. That was sports. fun. <laughs> it was it was fun. Uh, I had a lot of friends that were when we were in college were playing it and they always wanted me to. Um, I wasn't as big back then, but now like I just kind of picked it up. I was done with soccer. I just felt like I had kind of like done what I wanted to do with that. And there's a men's league that was near me. And yeah, it was great. It was good to learn something new again. I think that was what I was really looking for. I wanted to be a rookie at something again. We tend to get a lot of people come from rugby to bodybuilding over here you know they'll, they'll done mm-hmm. a bit of rugby and that obviously introduces them to the weights room and then from there so a lot of people take that kind of that route like that you've taken from like doing the kind of you know athletic sort of thing playing some sort of mm-hmm. sport and then into kind of like bodybuilding from there it's interesting obviously that um you got into natural bodybuilding because i don't know what it's mm-hmm. like over there in the u.s um in scotland it depends like i was very lucky i am um, the gym that i first joined well second gym i joined the bodybuilding gym that i joined and um, they actually, so the owners of that actually run the BNBF. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yep. obviously from there, I was introduced to natural bodybuilding. And like, um, I don't know if you've heard of like um, Dave K, have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So like Dave trains at that gym and there's um, a host of other like natural pros, uh, David Hanna, um, try to think who else is in there. I, I, this this always happens when I try to remember people that are in there, <laughs> but like there's a host of them, um, like, you know, DFAC yeah. pros in there. So it's like, from the, the get-go, I was shown this is possible. Like, you can you can do this naturally. You don't have to go on steroids. But then when I go other places and to other gyms and things like that, you know, I can see that maybe they don't have any, like, natural pros or things like that. And then it's, like, it's hard to see that that's actually possible naturally. Yeah. So, like, um, I, when, when you see that, when you're surrounded with it, it's, like, obviously... Um, you know, it's it's obvious to see that it's possible, but for a lot of people, they're not. They're surrounded with guys that are maybe using steroids, and I don't know about the U.S. What's it like with you guys over there? I think it's very region specific and gym specific. For me, I was so naive to it because you got to remember, I came up; it was all athletics, right? And we were water tested back then too, right? And, yeah. and I was terrified even playing soccer. There were a couple times we were getting towards the national tournament, and you know, if you take too much caffeine, you could pop positive for overdosing on caffeine with water yeah. right so it was like i'm not doing anything right um because i didn't want to be the one kid that got us knocked out of the national tournament because i you know <laughs> piss hot or something like that um so i just i never really was around it just the way i grew up the sports i was playing and that might have been just a reflection on the way i grew up rather than the the overall community right because i do know now talking with people that are seeing me go bodybuilding I talk with guys from my hometown and there were guys like, you know, that played football that were more aware of those things or doing things. And it just, it wasn't something that I was ever introduced to really until I got into natural bodybuilding and I just happened to stumble across it. Now, like, obviously I grew up, I knew who Arnold was. I knew who like Lee Labrada was. Lee was always like, when I started lifting, 
there was photos. I went to a bodybuilding gym, but I just never really connected. Like these guys are taking something I'm not taking. It was just naive to it all, (laughs) which was great. I think, I think that was great motivation for me. Like, holy crap. Like, could I look like that? I guess so. Let's just go lift harder. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I, I think that naivety really helps people out where right now you're seeing on social media, like if you look anywhere good at all, you're getting accused of steroids because it's so commonplace. I think globally now more so people are so more aware of what, what people are doing and people talk about it more, which may or may not be good for, you know, overall health and safety, but I'd rather just think that I could look like Arnold Natri and try. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, yeah, people are talking about it more, but does that like, yeah, take away that naivety that was once there. Um, but there's certainly like a lot of like young guys around about us that are getting into it more than ever. I would say um, from, from what I hear anyway. Um, and again, I'd, even if it was something I was going to do personally, I think I would maximize my natural potential first or certainly spend a good few years building muscle naturally before stepping into something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole other debate once you get into that kind of side of things as well. But it's just, it's not very often that people do get introduced to natural bodybuilding. It's just, it's good to see that people are still kind of taking that route and still kind of sticking with natural bodybuilding. So was there mm-hmm. any, like, obviously you mentioned, did you mention a guy that like can introduce you to natural bodybuilding? Um, did, did you have any sort of like inspiration within natural bodybuilding, anyone you kind of looked up to? I got very lucky early on. So the the one guy that kind of really introduced me was just a trainer that I kind of knew in passing at my gym. And I wasn't super close with him. I just, he said, hey, I competed this weekend in the OCB because it was a local show. And I was like, well, what's the OCB? And that kind of like, that was the door. Yeah. And then once I started talking about it more, um, my sister-in-law's father competed with the USBF, which is another smaller federation in the US for years. So I started talking about it with the family more. And it was like, oh, hey, like, that's what I do. I didn't even realize it. I knew he owned a gym. I knew he lifted. So we started talking. He helped me with my posing early on. He was a good mentor, like for the first year or two. And then social media took over really, right? Because the US is very spread out. There is not very many hubs of natural bodybuilding. So Rochester, where I'm at now, actually, there are a good amount of pros and there are a lot of gyms. So that is a great community that I've found myself in now. But back then, I mean, I was like the only natural lifter. Um, where I was other times. So I found social media. And it's it's funny, the first two people that I saw on social media when I started like researching natural bodybuilding was Jack Thorburn in 2017 oh, yeah. with it was his leg photo where his he's just like separating. And I was like, I what in the world? Like that's possible. <laughs> I competed against him the year before that, uh, 2016 BMBF British finals. Um, he came third in the junior class. I came fourth. So he beat me in that one. But um, yeah, yeah, I know of Jack. Um, so yeah, yeah you came, so, came across him on Instagram. Yeah. So it was Jack and then Alberto Nunez, because both oh. of them were competing that year and they were both like just shredded to the gills. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't know the human body could do this. Right. So once yeah. you find those roots, then you find their circles. Right. I find out about Team 3DMJ. Then I start listening to the Revive Stronger podcast. And then it just kind of like spirals from there. And then you find yourself and you're embedded in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's it. And then it becomes a way of life, doesn't it? Like the kind of mm-hmm. the nutrition side of things and things like that and just mm-hmm. becomes becomes habit doesn't it like 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 yeah. anything good like we try and instill in our clients as well and so like in terms of like federations over there you've mentioned like ocb and um, i can't remember what that mm-hmm. last one you mentioned were was but um is there a lot of like variations is there a lot of different feds a lot of different kind of rules and things like that yeah that's that's the big critique that i have and some of the other guys that i compete with of the u.s side of the sport is 
we have, I've lost count of how many federations. The big ones though, you've got the OCB, you have the WMBF, you have the PNBA, which is affiliated with your UKDFBA. Yeah. Um, you have the IPE, USBF, NGA. There's I'm gonna anger DFAC, some. I'm gonna. So, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, DFAC has a few. Yeah, I I'm gonna anger some promoter, right? Because there's a new feder ANBF. I'm close with the vice president of the ANBF, right? There's just too many federations, and I've said it multiple times. So you know, people can still stay irritated with me. If we consolidated like a lot of Europe and the UK and everything has, I think we would do a lot better because our athletes are so watered down. You have one national pro over here, one national champ over here, a champ down here, and they don't really compete against each other except yeah. for now with the Mr. America because that's an unsanctioned show. So any pro from any federation can come and that drew some really, really good athletes last year, but that's just one standalone show. That's interesting. I didn't know that actually about that that Mr. America show. That's that's definitely interesting. Um, we're we're kind of getting the same over here as well because like I think just the same sort of thing. There's there's more and more feds popping up, and some of the unnatural shows as well are now putting on their own natural show too. And it's just like mm-hmm. it's the last thing you need. And then they they all seem to well not always, but a lot of them seem to be in the same weekend. So like you'll have like two natural shows on the same weekend, and it's like. It's not that big a community. There's not that many people. And as you say, it kind of dilutes it because you're not getting the best guys going up against the best guys. You're just getting a kind of mixed bag. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. obviously, going to the gym um, that's ran by the people that run the BNBF, I just kind of got involved with it straight away. And mm-hmm. they run their shows really, really well. Like I've, I've been to a couple of other shows and been somewhat unimpressed with the way they've ran. So like I've just kind of stuck with that. But like, like you say, it's like, one of those things it's not a big enough community to have all these different federations and then especially once you get to pro level as like you know as someone who's a fan of the sport like i'd love to see some of the top pros in the world actually compete against each other but it never mm-hmm. really seems to happen like i mean two of the best yeah. that we've got within the bmbf or the dfac so obviously dave k have mentioned him already and a guy nathan williams like they're probably yep. the top two that stand out in my mind and it's like um there i have seen guys from other federations that you're thinking, imagine just getting all these guys in one lineup and just seeing, you know, who mm-hmm. who comes out on top. It would it would just be great to see. And um, who who are yeah. some of the top guys in the US that you could uh, name off the top of your head? Well, I mean, Meshach. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna try and say his last name. If I say Meshach, most natural bodybuilders. I think know I think I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Prince Bada. He won worlds uh, for WMBF two years in a row and came second at Mister America, I believe. Bada is a great person as well. Levi Burge won the OCB's top show, the Yorton Cup, and has won so many different titles. There's some there's some really good athletes, but again, right? Like Levi doesn't compete with the WMBF anymore because of some politics that happened. Meshach doesn't compete with the WMBF. Um, Bada obviously does. And then like the PNBA guys, I don't know too much about them. They're more like West Coast and there's there's some stuff that goes on there. So I don't really follow them as much. But a lot of the UK guys... Now that the UK DFBA is affiliated with the PNBA, they're competing there. So it's almost like yeah. if I want to compete against some of those guys, I now have to do that federation instead of the WMBF, who they used to be affiliated with. So it's it gets tough. Um, now, yeah. luckily, our federations don't really lock you down, or at least I'm an amateur, so yeah. I'm not getting locked down, right? I can compete wherever I want. So if I want to do a show here, a show there, I can do that for now. Um, we we do have our you know I'm biased towards certain organizations and I'm actually promoting a WMBF show with some of my colleagues later in the year, but that doesn't mean that I'm exclusive to them by any means. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you find those shows are well enough run then? Like, the, obviously, the one you're promoting yourself is going to be well run. But I um, think it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you find uh, find uh, generally most shows are pretty well run over there? Yeah. WMBF has the reputation. It has a really good reputation for good testing and quality athletes. What I will say is you can find weak shows with any organization. Yeah. I found them with just about anyone that I've competed with, and I've seen them on social media and other organizations that I haven't. So I think it more so comes down to the promoter, at least here. If you yeah. have a good, strong promoter that's you know connected to the community, experienced in the sport, they know what the athletes want, they're going to put on a good show regardless of what organization they're with. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I might hurt some feelings here, but uh, I do definitely see people that, like, they'll go from one federation to the next until they maybe find a show where they do well, uh, you know, maybe even if it is a lesser standard, and then all of a sudden that's, the, you know, the best one that's out there, the be-all and end-all sort of thing. Some uh, mm -hmm. some people in particular maybe, like, spit the dummy a little bit with some feds because they don't get the placings that they want, and uh, bodybuilding is just one of those sports. Eh? Like, I'm sure that happens with you guys as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. People jump around all the time or, or someone's like bragging like, Oh, I got my pro card. You look, and it's like, you compete against two people. And like one dude was like 20 pounds overweight, like, and eh, like, cool, you got it. But now what are you going to do with it? Right? Like, yeah, I've always said like, when I earn my pro card, I want to earn it. And I want to be pro level ready. I don't want to yeah. just win it on some week show and then get my butt handed to me when I try and compete as a pro. Right. How easy is it to win a pro card over there? Like, could if you were to go out and just if your all out goal was to get a pro card, you didn't care about you know being pro level, if you know what I mean, like pro standard, like you're talking about. How easy would it be for for someone to go do that over there? If I were willing to travel and just continue competing, I could get one in a year. You yeah, know, it's there's enough federations, enough shows and enough different rules where, yeah, it could happen. And some of the feds have changed the rules to make it slightly harder because there was some pushback. There were, um, oh, what's the term they even used? Unconditional pro qualifiers in a certain organization, and they will deny that they ever had these, but I was literally at these shows <laughs> where it didn't matter how many athletes there were. If there were two people in the class, one person was getting a pro card. And that's just, it's wrong. They I've... said that historically these were the strong shows, and that's why they granted them that status, but it's just not right. Yeah, I've certainly heard that some federations will charge you for your pro card, even if you're not competing that year. So then obviously, in terms of business, the more pros you've got, the more money you're making. So like, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, corruption is everywhere, isn't it? But uh, I know, like, again, I can only speak for the BNBF because I don't have a lot of like, um, anything to do with like um, UK DFBA or um, whatever ones are out there, WNBF UK, I don't have anything yeah. really to do with them. But the BNBF, like, there's one pro card given out a year. And you've got mm -hmm. to... You've got to qualify for the British finals by coming like, you know, top two or three in your class at a qualifier. Then you've got to win your class at the British finals. And then you've got to beat everyone else that wins their class at the British finals. And it's just that one mm -hmm. pro card a year. And like, I think as a result of that, most of the pros that come through like the BNBF and become a DFAC, a DFAC pro from here tend to be pretty high standard. But for yeah. some people, that's the end. It's like, you know, they get their pro card and then they're they're maybe really good, but like in terms of pro standard, they're not quite a Dave K or Nathan Williams. And then they're just kind of like, that's the last show they're ever winning. You know what I mean? So sometimes mm -hmm. actually it's better to be a good amateur, in my opinion, and then, you know, yeah. continue to, to take the placings and things like that. 
Yeah. And and that's a structure I would love to see in the US. I don't think it's going to happen within my lifetime just because there's too many federations. But yeah, a real like re local to regional to national type tiered progression where, you know, since the US is so big, maybe it'd be more than one pro card. Maybe you give yeah. like one per region and then those guys competed, you know, for the overall national title that year. But but yeah, some sort of tiered hierarchy just so you're not getting, you know, and, and everyone knows who the tough shows are, like the WMBF Hercules or Muscle Mayhem or some of those. You go there and pretty much anyone in the top five probably deserves a pro card. Yeah. But you could also go to a show you know, around the corner from you and there's three people there and it's like, yeah, you won your pro card. But you go compete against like a Josh Kenyon and you're going to you're going to get laughed yeah. off the stage. Right. Definitely. Yeah, well, that, that's absolutely it. And um, so. Let's move on a little bit just to obviously like we talked about your placings before. Um, mm -hmm. So have you never actually like kind of placed first or won a show? Don't worry, I haven't either if you've not. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I haven't. I um, I was very confident last year and uh, that was the wrong decision. <laughs> That's bodybuilding <laughs> it's, for me though. It's, yeah, it's funny. You know, I've, I've dramatically improved. People can look at my photos and from where I was 2017 to where I was 21, I look like a different person and I'm very proud of that. But I think the the level of the sport and some of the shows I'm putting myself into are much more competitive now. So I'm getting a true grasp of like where I truly stand. And I I do believe I will win a pro card at some point with the WBF. That's like my big goal. I might compete with some other for some other pro cards. But will I ever be like top fives at Worlds? No, there's just fantastic athletes and I'm just not there. I'm like middle of the pack genetics and I'm just working to optimize what I can with that. So I've kind of like settled myself down. I'll be a great coach. I'll be like middle tier pro maybe. There, there's um, absolutely so not no. wrong with, with backing yourself right enough and believing in yourself. Like, uh, you know, obviously um, I came across you by you sharing one of like uh, Keefe's posts. And um, I think Keefe, what Keefe does really, really well is he doesn't limit his beliefs. It's like, you know, he believes that he can he can step on the Olympia stage. He talks about that a lot, doesn't he? And it's like, mm -hmm. if you don't believe it yourself, well, then you're you're already beat. So I think you know, although although you're saying that, like it's it's definitely good to believe in yourself and you know, even think of yourself as a little bit better than you actually are, and then eventually you will get there. But uh, yeah, Keefe certainly um he's he's good from that point of view with his mindset, and obviously some of his lifts are <laughs> absolutely crazy. He's an animal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like I remember him. Um, I remember the first year he competed, and he was like in the team class, and he wasn't really that well conditioned, but you could see already he's like this guy's got a lot of muscle. So he obviously he started um having a lot. To, he was coming up to the body academy sometimes. So obviously I got to know him through that, and he's a great guy. Um, but yeah, he's just he's came on like leaps and bounds since then, just absolutely. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just you know testament to that kind of mindset, isn't it? That never never stop getting better kind of mindset and uh yeah we definitely definitely want to employ that ourselves but um obviously Keefe's training style was very hard and heavy how, how would you describe your training style then it's a mix of a lot of different philosophies so being a physical therapist i'm very mindful of like control with my movements right but not to the point of going super light and you know i'll i'll get a little bit intense but so if i were to like summarize it I love what uh, Renaissance periodization is doing with like full range of motion and like lengthened type work. So I do a lot of lengthened or, you know, not necessarily the partials, but full range of motion on like squat and my flies and my presses and really focusing on getting that stretch just because of some of the research that's coming out, but that's my accessory stuff. So I'll accumulate a lot of volume in a stretch for my accessories, but my compounds are still relatively heavy and intense. And I do tend to do 
less extreme of like the top set back off set as what a lot of you guys do or what yeah. I've seen in certain crowds. I'll still do a top set, but I may actually do like two top sets and one back off set. I kind of do like a double progression of up to three sets for my heavy compounds. And that's kind of very just auto-regulated based on my fatigue. So my first week, the mesocycle, I'm probably only going to do one and one. Second week, if I feel good and I'm not progressing load, I'll probably do two top sets and one back off set. Um, and I'll kind of just like taper that up until I need the deload. So I, I mix, I think, the best of both worlds. I still get really as heavy as I can go and as intense as I can go for my, my leg press, my hack squat, my barbell squat, my like straight leg deadlifts, all those fun things. But I'm still mindful of my control and form. Um, but then I just go after volume with like cable flies and cable presses, like taken to that extreme stretch. So I, I love it. It's, it's yeah. definitely adapted because I used to be very much a minimalist and like barbell dumbbell only training big three. And I very much adapted my training to be more like bodybuilding training in the last couple of years. And I think it's helped my joints and it's helped me grow. Yeah. That actually sounds as if like, in terms of like the way you've kind of came from like, you know, big free dumbbells, everything sort of thing. And then kind of catered it more towards like obviously controlling your movements a lot better and, you know, taking into consideration different, different things around training and actually not fucking yourself up when you're training. It sounds like you've got a similar kind of route to me because like I got exposed to that, you know, bench squat deadlift sort of thing. And, you know, I think it was probably one of the best possible things because it like taught me how to train really hard. It's like, and I, I know mm -hmm. how to train really hard. So inside me, there's, there's this meathead still there, but also mm -hmm. I've, I've layered on the kind of knowledge of like, okay, like biomechanics and like human anatomy and things like that. And realized that, okay, if I maybe doing a certain movement, a certain way, it's going to fuck me up long-term. So I'll maybe just adjust that slightly. And like, rather than, I, I would say maybe at one point I maybe went too far the other way. And then I started like being a bit too, I don't know, like not, not scared of like doing compounds and things like that, but I certainly like shied away from them a little bit. And then, you know, you come back around to it again. Like, like I fucking mm -hmm. love deadlift and deadlifts, one of my favorite lifts, but then squat or bench, I'm not overly fussed for either of those two. And it's two mm -hmm. movements. I don't think are going to be essential for me as a bodybuilder. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're, they're bad by any means, but I don't think they're essential, but um, yeah, so it sounds very similar. And then, yeah, the, the top set back off is definitely what I do. I think that's huge over here, isn't it? Probably, probably coming it, from Dorian Yates. <laughs> It, it is. It is. And there's a good philosophy to it for fatigue management. Um, I don't know how much there is like research backing it right now, but if you like it and it's allowing yeah. you to do the lifts you want to do, I'm all for it. I'm all that, for people doing whatever. Um, but yeah, at the same time, like I'm throwing in mechanical drop sets and cluster sets, myo reps, however you want to call it, like all sorts of the fun stuff too. So I'm still, I'm still being a bro doing those things, but I'm trying to be a little bit smarter and tactful of like when I throw in those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked about the squat and you personally not like utilizing it. I think there's a very big difference in my squat now versus what it was. And people can learn a lot from that. So like squatting like a power lifter or squatting for strength is vastly different than squatting as a bodybuilder. If you really watch the guys that squat for hypertrophy, right? Like when I used to like go for load, I'm getting to 90, I'm doing a low bar stance, super bent over torso, and I'm yeah. just kind of like dropping and then getting out of the hole. Versus now, 
I'm doing like a three second eccentric with lifting shoes on vertical torso, like hanging out in the hole, pausing and then exploding out. So the stimulus is entirely different and the load's entirely different. I mean, I, my max squat was 405 pounds, which is not fantastic by any means. Um, but now I'm doing like 225, 250, you know, pounds. It's, it's not heavy at all, but the stimulus for my quads and glutes is so much better than what it had been. That's a really good point as well, because I think, a lot of people get caught up and they'll see guys like Keefe and don't get me wrong, it works really, really well for him. And it's just constantly chasing load and put more load in the bar. But more load in the bar doesn't always mean more tension in the muscles. And I think, again, through like my kind of journey, I kind of figured that out in some some senses the hard way because like I was doing like the low bar squats as well because I was like, right, I can actually, you know, I can squat like, um, you know, like four or five for like six, seven reps at this. I'm like, fuck yeah, I can, you know, I can move a lot of weight. But was that putting a lot of tension on the muscles I was trying to target? Well, maybe not. I mean, it's certainly still done a job and it certainly still helped. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that that it wasn't good. But then I started getting things like bicep tendonitis and I'm like, why the fuck am I getting bicep tendonitis from doing a squat? And then as I started mm-hmm. exploring all these things, I start realizing, okay, right, I lack the external rotation to actually get into that position. I'm like, okay, this is starting to make sense. So maybe like something like a safety bar might be a bit better for me. Or yeah. even if I do yeah. something like a, a kind of low-level isometric and get into a bit more external rotation beforehand, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's, I think that's, to be honest, I think it's the best balance to possibly have is having that kind of inner meathead, but also having the sense to not fuck yourself up. But um, yeah, yep. certainly like um, going back to how we kind of started there, it's like, uh, you know, more, more load in the bar does not always make more tension in the muscles. Um, and once you've got a little bit of understanding of biomechanics, you start to, see that it's 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 not just about weight there's there's other stuff involved that uh, we maybe shouldn't get too deep into but like yeah certainly other stuff involved too um so yeah mm-hmm. your training styles kind of evolved as you, as you've went along and um i suppose mm-hmm. the big thing you'll be gaining from that is longevity not not getting injured and i think in natural bodybuilding that's huge because in order to build mm-hmm. as much muscle as you want to you need to keep training you can't be taking you know yeah. weeks off months off at a time um you yeah. amongst your clients like you you have clients that compete right Yes. Yeah. So do you tend to get people coming to you with a lot of injuries initially? And then as you change the training, things start to take a turn. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm known for. I, I have a good niche within like those with chronic pain and chronic injuries or prior surgeries that want to continue bodybuilding or get back into bodybuilding, or even in the gym pop someone like I had a knee replacement. I tore my ACL. I tore my rotator cuff and I'm yeah. just, I'm tired of being sedentary. I want to get back into it. So yeah, there's, Training is rehab, right? Like rehab as a physical therapist, if you're doing so low level that they're not getting any sort of training stimulus, you're not actually rehabbing them, right? So I try and get any one of my people into the gym and most people are already. And you don't have to get overly fancy. A lot of these exercises that you see physios push, they're they're underdosed really, right? Like there are certain nuanced things you probably need to do to target and isolate certain muscles at certain times. And there's mobility that you probably should do to allow people to get into certain positions. But the vast majority of your training, just like as a bodybuilder, the vast majority of your training probably shouldn't be like a single arm cable press around. You probably need to put some sort of heavy stimulus in there as well to get a real response to grow muscle tissue and desensitize the area if it is painful, right? And it's just, it's progressed and regressed depending on what that stimulus is and how much they can tolerate. Something I see a lot of um, amongst like particularly bodybuilders is, you know, they'll have had some sort of injury and they'll maybe have went to see a physio or something like that. And then, you know, we're talking like months down the line, six, seven, eight months down the line, and they're doing exercises with bands. And I'm like, mate, you weigh 
you know, 100, 110 kilos lean and you're fucking mm-hmm. doing <laughs> you're doing internal rotation with a, a band, it's like you're probably too strong for that. It's probably doing absolutely nothing for you. I mean, fair yeah. enough at, at the start, if you've had an injury, you need to start small, but, you know, come on. By then, you, you need to be shifting a bit more load. Um, mm-hmm. uh, on another note, actually, with that, kind of irrelevant, but you always see guys with the, with the dumbbell doing the external yeah. rotation. I'm like, mate, come on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, you get yeah. sensation, for sure, but, like, yeah. You see some yeah. some crazy things in the gym. Once you start seeing this stuff, you can't unsee it, can you? Yeah, and I think to to that point with the bands, you know, it's either some of it is ignorance of the physio, and I'm going to speak just generally. I don't I don't know you guys actually across the pond and and Australia especially. Like, there's a lot of really really good physical therapy research coming out that is pushing the the profession in a good position. There are a lot of physical therapists in the U.S. that are generalists because that's what we're trained to be. So they're working in a hospital, working in a nursing home, or working in outpatient physical therapy, but they're not bodybuilders or strength sport athletes. So they don't know the sport and they don't know the requirements of the sport. So if you're working with an 80-year-old who you know has a bum shoulder, a band probably is a challenge for her. Yeah. So that's where it starts. And those people just don't have the knowledge to know, like, how do I progress this to someone who needs to bench, you know, 400 pounds, right? So, and it's, and part of it is the system itself, at least here, an insurance-based system with physical therapy. And I don't want to dive into the, like, I could get on a soapbox with this. Um, You see someone for a short period of time, pretty repetitively, but then they go about their way and there's no, there's no interaction between sessions. So you're not really programming for them. So you don't know what they're doing in the gym. So it's kind of like, all right, how do you feel right here, right now? Let's address it. And then like, go be on your way. And that's some of what I'm personally trying to change with more of like the online coaching and online rehabilitation type scene. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I've not had any experience with like NHS physios or anything like that over here, but I, th- I think it sounds pretty similar. And my clients have had experiences with them and like, so I've had clients that have had an ACL injury, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then I've had clients that have maybe had like a hip replacement and the sheet of exercises they get from the NHS is the same. And you're just like, come yeah. on, to, come on to fuck out. You at least have some different, different kind of variations. But again, it's, like, it's probably, it's probably 15 different exercises, all of them low load, low dosage. Right. So yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's no carryover. It's, it's like, all right, cool. I did this week three, but now what? Like, where do I go from here? It's, yeah. I can't just always come back to my sheet. I need to have a progression scheme just like you would in the gym. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, again, I don't know if it's so much the physio's fault as maybe the way it's run. But again, that, as you say, that's a whole that's a whole other side of things. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely mm-hmm. like, you know, I like the way your business runs in the sense that it's like you coach bodybuilding, but also you can help people out with their injuries and that. Because like if you're training hard, there, there's always going to be injuries. You're always going to have niggles yeah. and things like that. And no matter how much you know, I'm sure you probably get them yourself sometimes. I know I certainly mm-hmm. get niggles and injuries still, and it, it gets you thinking as well. And then hopefully the next mm-hmm. time it comes up, you you know a little bit more about that. I'm obviously mm-hmm. conscious of time and keeping you a little bit too long, but there was just a couple extra things I wanted to ask. Um, and yeah. particularly, I, I noticed like that you train you train from home, right? You've got like a kind of garage, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, that cool. that's been great. That started. Uh, I'll let you finish your question before I go off. Well, yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> going to kind of go into that and say, like, how how do you find training at home, and uh, you know, how, how have you adapted mm-hmm. your training for training at home? Yeah, so I'm I'm blessed right now to have a really good setup. If people watch my videos, like it's not just a, a cheap bench and you know leg extension combo. I've got a functional trainer, squat rack, dumbbells up to 100 pounds, leg press, pull down, cable row, hamstring curl, like really good equipment that I've accumulated over years. 
but it started out when everything shut down, just like a lot of people. Right, I had right, a, yeah. a, sing, a single car garage. It was like nine by 10 foot, I think. It was tiny. And I was a trainer at the time. So I did have a key where I could get into one gym, but also my wife was pregnant with her first kid. And it's like, I, I'm just going to stay home to stay safe. I don't know yeah. what's going on. Let's just figure out what we can do. So I bought a bunch of equipment that was pretty cheap off a guy, just cleared out his whole garage. And it was one of those it's a squat rack with the pulley inside of it and it's all rusty and you know garbage and like the one inch plates and it worked but i was it was all dumbbell barbell so i kind of had to go back to my basics there for a bit and then i've slowly kind of like reacclimated and when i find that there's a weakness in my training program i'll try and go buy that piece of equipment right like the seated hamstring curl was my recent purchase because i had a prone hamstring curl but i wanted to be able to hit it from the other angle and I was yeah. using a cable setup and it was just a headache to do unilateral on a cable. So I went and bought a piece, right? So I, there's still certainly pieces that I don't have that I would love to have. And I just don't have either the funds or the space for. And, and I will be using a facility near me probably every other day, starting in the next couple months, just because I'll be around that facility more. So I'll do yeah. like two sessions at home to be around the family and to be like here to help. And then two sessions uh, at the gym. But to answer your question, if you're creative, I don't think there's too many weak points that many people would have training from home. If you have a good amount of weight where you can load up a bar, you know, good dumbbells, you have the mobility and the ability to train with a barbell and a dumbbell relatively well. And the real weak point that I found was vertical pulling. Cause I am garbage at pull-ups and that's all I could do for the longest time. So I feel like my back suffered for the first year or two. But now that I have the cable row and the cable pull down, I'm set. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting what you said. Obviously, you had a key to the gym back during like the lockdown. It's so interesting how like everyone that's like, you know, into their training managed to find a way during the lockdown. I found that so interesting. Like everyone, like you're seeing videos online, you're like, where, where the hell is he training and things like that? And we, we all <laughs> seem to find something that we could actually like continue training on. Like the ones that weren't that serious, they're just like, ah, you know, lockdown can't train and that. But uh, yeah, everyone seemed to find a way. But uh, I suppose a lot of people would have started home gyms as the same kind of way as you actually kind of stem back from mm -hmm. that. Um, like moving on to the equipment you're talking about, are you quite fussy with your equipment or, um, you know, are you, are you a guy that's saying this is a Cybex VR2 leg extension or are you not really that into it? I love equipment. I love playing with new equipment. Um, I am slightly more biased towards the old school stuff though. Yeah. Right? So I love going into playing with like the, the prime stuff, the Atlantis stuff. Strive is one of like the older brands that some yeah. of the gyms nearby have. That's great. But for me, like the stuff that I have, two pieces I have actually came out of a gym that's local to us. That's a known bodybuilding gym that like Danny Padilla was using when he was training. Like right, old, yeah, cool. old, just heavy. And you can tell it was homemade. It's old yeah. metal pulleys with like I-beams that are welded together. And they're just, they're built to last for forever, right? So maybe they're not the smoothest, but it's got a 300 pound weight stack on it. I'm never going to max that thing out for cable rows, yeah. right? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, so no, not overly picky. Now there's certain things like my leg press hack squat is a little squeaky and a little sticky, but I love the angle on it. So would I love to have like a true like Cybex hack squat? Yeah. Will I? Probably not just from a space perspective. You could spend a lot of money on that stuff as well, to be fair. That could get very yeah. expensive very quick. I know like some of the prime kits, like 
so for the plate load of stuff's like four grand or something for like a leg extension it's like yeah we're, we're not spending that much but you can pick up some really good pieces certainly over here anyway you can pick up some really good pieces relatively cheap if you go for something that maybe isn't so new you know some of the like 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 the cybex vr2 stuff and things like that or some of the old life fitness pro one stuff and things like that you can get a lot of them relatively decent prices but anyway um we'll not we'll not spend the rest of this just talking about uh um equipment um so mm-hmm. finally the last question i was kind of going to ask you it's like obviously um, you have two kids is that right i have two kids yeah, yeah. uh yeah. recently uh so i have a two-year-old a two and a half year old and then a three-week old so how how do you find the business training with all that going on now do you find that's a big change kind of going from one to two or yeah yeah when it was one it was a lot easier just because you know when she's asleep she's probably going to sleep very frequently for the first couple months and even then like naps for the two and a half year old are you know two and a half hours so yeah. i can get a lot done in that especially with the home gym um, now with two, if their schedule gets offset or if one of them's fussy and I got to help, you know, help mom out, it's, it gets tricky. So what I've done is I've condensed my training into four sessions. They're not on any set day or any set time, just because that's not possible. Yeah. And they are very much set to be in and out in an hour, minimal yeah. setup time. So I'm using some more machines and cables because I don't need to warm up as much on those. I am still doing some barbell movements, but I program those barbell movements like the second, third or fourth movement of the day. So I'm already warmed up so I can reduce the amount of time that I have to like load the bar really. So like for my squats, um, what am I doing? I'm doing, I'm doing a superset of leg extension, seated leg curl, just to get a great pump going, accumulate some volume, fatigue myself. And then I go into my barbell squat where I'm already warmed up, already tired. And I do like 135, 225 and I'm into my working sets. Right. So it's, it's super quick and super efficient. And a lot of the structure is one pre-fatigue movement or a super set of pre-fatigue one to two heavy compounds, keeping it to like two sets normally right now for my like total working sets and then finishing with a giant set just to like crush my accessory volume. Like for my upper body, I'm doing like a seated lateral raise into a seated curl into a cable hammer curl into a tricep overhead extension, like just yeah, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Maybe it's not the most efficient technically on paper for hypertrophy purposes, but I'll tell you what, you get a fantastic pump with it. Yeah, I think as well, like obviously um, when you've worked in personal training as well, like usually they're one hour sessions. So you learn how to program a decent amount of stuff into one hour and you can be super efficient. I think it was, um, do you know, um, the bodybuilder Rob Hope, he, he didn't compete anymore, but he, he did a long, long time ago, a great, great natural bodybuilder. Um, and I'm sure I- very familiar. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure I read somewhere that he said that, you know, you should be not that you should be, but you could train forty five minutes to an hour quite easily. And you know, I, I I truly do believe that. Now, albeit I do spend a little bit longer myself, but that's more through more for choice. Like you could definitely be in and out forty five minutes to one hour for most sessions, I believe, if if you're structuring it well, like like you have. But yeah, so it totally mm-hmm. changes things when when kids are on the scene. Cause I know personally, like I've I've only got one kid, um, but mm-hmm. like you know, I know personally I'm getting up at like 6 a.m. some morning. So like try and do check-ins before she's awake because like yeah. you've, you've got to still fit all the same stuff into the day. But then all of a sudden there's all these extra responsibilities. But um, like I suppose people find a way. And and if, mm-hmm. if you want something enough, you're always going to find a way. And um, yeah, it's interesting to exactly. hear obviously about your programming considerations and things like that. That's totally, um, yeah, it's, it's food for thought for people who are maybe going through a similar thing or trying to figure it out as well. Um, in terms of your nutrition then, like, are you just pretty like kind of scheduled with that as well? Like, is that kind of like same foods every day? Do you keep that as simple as possible? 
It it normally is. Right now, things just because I kind of I'm I've been doing a very intuitive approach for the last year and okay. I'm really good at it now. But I will get back into more structure just because I'm gonna be starting to take some weight off. Yeah. But I can maintain like 200 pounds without thinking about it. I just it's like we talked about the habits and the routine and the lifestyle. Absolutely. I know I'm gonna eat some amount of eggs and oatmeal in the morning for breakfast most days. I'm going to have a protein shake somewhere in the midday. I'm going to have chicken and rice or some sort of protein and rice for lunch or potatoes. My dinners are, you know, a rotation of like seven, eight different things my wife and I cook together, but it's still based on some sort of, you know, carbs, some sort of lean protein and a vegetable. Yeah. We have a salad with every dinner. And then I'll probably have like Greek yogurt, cereal and protein powder for, you know, a final meal. So while I'm not tracking and I'm not measuring right now, the base foundation of what I eat is relatively similar. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to maintain like 195 pounds to 205 pounds without ever thinking about it. And I've been doing that for a long period of time. That's it. There's, um, a, there's a structure there though. And I think like, this is what I say to a lot of clients. And the reason I ask that is because like, you know, you do get a lot of clients that have got a lot going on in their life. And they say, Oh, I don't know if I can commit to these goals because you know, I've got this, I've got this kid and I've got this business running and things like that. And again, it's more to, to let people hear that again, it's possible. There's always a way. And like you've, you've, you've got that structure there. You know what you're doing every single day. And I imagine you're prepping a lot of the food and that as well. And it's just like, it becomes so easy when you're just in a routine, doesn't it? It's like so easy to live mm -hmm. like that. And uh, it's more time efficient too. So um, yeah, hopefully yeah. I've convinced a few people to actually do that there. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I'd say too, to that point, prepping your meals like once a week or at least multiple meals, because I have, I have clients that say the same thing. Well, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. I can't do that. I can't do that. It frees up so much of your time for you to be able to wake up in the morning and pull two containers out of the fridge and go about your day, right? So if yeah, you've prepped, maybe, maybe you make your breakfast every morning, but if you've prepped your lunch and maybe a secondary meal, and then you don't have to think about it for the week, that saves you so much time in the morning when you're scrambling, trying to get your kids out the door, trying to get showered, trying to get all this stuff done. You don't have to think you're done. You got it. You throw it in your, in your you know lunchbox and, and you're good to go. And then you come home and you make a dinner. So maybe you have to cook two meals a day and you have a protein shake and then you have two meals already prepped. And then at least, you know, from those two meals, you have a set standard of I'm getting X amount of protein and carbs and I'll adjust everything around those meals. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm cautious. I've, I've took up a lot of your time here, James. So um, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up at that. But do you want to uh, just let people know where they can find you if anyone wants to know a little bit more about you or a bit more about ATP? Yeah. Yeah. So for my personal page, it's J Johnson DPT. There's periods in between J Johnson and DPT. That's my personal profile. I do. I do a lot of client stuff on there, educational videos on there, but there's also bits of my life, right? My kids and the construction I'm doing on my home and, and odds and ends. And then the business page is ATP period performance. And that's our business collaborative coaching page where you'll see myself and my fellow coaches putting out a lot of bodybuilding, rehabilitation, and strongman information right now. And actually some running stuff too. One of our coaches has transitioned into concurrent hybrid training. So a lot of information about really anything physical activity and rehabilitation. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks for your time, James. Really appreciate it.